I don't know if you uh, happen to see this. I saw it um, online this week. Um, it was an article about a four-year-old uh, who lives uh, in the suburbs of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, did you hear about this kid? His great-grandpa used to throw him into the SUV and say, come on, Sebastian, let's go get candy. And they drove uh, through the, the, the suburbs out onto the highway and to the favorite gas station where they got all their candy that they needed. And Sebastian loved doing that. And so one day this past week, four-year-old Sebastian said, Grandpa, let's go for candy. And his great-grandpa didn't take him. So he took the keys. And he went out and he opened the door on that SUV. And he crawled up into it and he put the keys in and he turned it and it started right up. And he put it into reverse and he backed it out onto the road and he put it into drive and he headed down the road. And along the way, he took out a couple mailboxes because he's looking like under the steering wheel. He's four years old for crying out loud. And he had a collision with one of the neighbor's houses. He left the bumper there at the house. He continued through the suburban neighborhood until he got out to the four-lane highway and he got on it. And he was going 10 to 15 miles an hour. People are calling 911. There's somebody doing something, driving crazy. He continued on the four-lane highway, pulled into the gas station where great-grandpa buys him candy, put it in park, got out, and the police said, thank you for stopping, Sebastian. We need to call your grandpa. He was okay. You just got to admire that kid, right? But how many of you, as I was telling a story, you were holding your breath? Because you know that that's kind of dangerous. And in fact, his grandpa said, great-grandpa said this. Listen to what he said. He said, this could have been very serious. He could have hit a car. He wasn't wearing a seatbelt. We could be talking about a funeral. And really, you could. Because a four-year-old behind the steering wheel of an SUV is a very scary kind of thing. It's a dangerous thing. I want to talk to you about something that some of us allow behind the steering wheel of our lives that is equally dangerous. And that's a little thing called envy. That sometimes we allow envy into our lives without giving a second thought of how dangerous it is for us to be entertaining envy. I did a little bit of reading in preparation for this message about envy, just kind of getting my head around it. What does it mean? And I landed on Psychology Today. That's a reputable website in the world of psychology. And there was a, a gentleman there named Dr. Peter Langman, PhD, who had written an article about the mass murders that seem all too commonplace in our society today. And from nightclubs to schools to workplaces to military installments to campuses, this uh, phenomenon occurs. And Dr. Langman was saying, what is the one common denominator in that? And everybody would like to know that, right? And his opinion might be as good as yours or maybe better. I'm not sure. But you know, the first thing that comes to mind is we think, well, one of the things that motivates that is these, these perpetrators have, have been bullied. That's what it is. And maybe so, maybe to some degree. But Langman, Langman says, no, that's not the main reason. Well, maybe then we would suggest that it's anger, that these, these murdering sprees that happen are fueled by anger. Yeah, in a sense, but probably not in the way that you're thinking of anger. Others posit the suggestion, particularly in schools, that it was a social misfit. He just didn't fit in, and so that's what's going on. And yeah, that is a factor, but Langman says that the identifying factor behind all of this is envy. 
murderous envy, he calls it. And that kind of makes sense because envy is something that kind of fits with being bullied and it's something that manifests in ang- anger, envy does. And, and if you don't feel like you fit in, then you probably envy those who do. Envy. It's a serious thing in our lives. Let me ask you this. Do you envy? I do. <laughs> and I want to say that if I allow it to reside in my soul, I have found it's just about as dangerous as having a four-year-old on a four-lane highway behind a wheel of an SUV. Envy can be a killer. Now, the Bible speaks about envy, and the Bible speaks about contentment. In a moment, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, that's where you want to be. We're going to read it early in the sermon, and we're going to come back to it at the end of the sermon. And while you're turning there, I want to talk to you about another passage from Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 23, in verse 20 and verse 17, God says, do not let your heart envy sinners. Okay, that makes sense. You see someone who doesn't know God, doesn't follow God, he's doing really well, my heart wants to envy him. And Proverbs says, no, do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the Lord, for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. That's a great kind of promise. It's a great piece of counsel and wisdom from the wisdom of God's word. The passage in 1 Timothy 6 that I ask you to open to is a passage where Paul, who's an older pastor, church planter, missionary, is speaking to a younger guy. So it'd be like me talking to Robbie maybe, you know, or, or like, an, an, well, not me because I'm not an old guy, but imagine an old guy talking to someone like Robbie, you know, just giving him counsel. But Timothy, the young man he's speaking to, is a pastor of a church. And he says this in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, verse 6. He says, but godliness with contentment, hear that phrase? Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. There are those, those who want to get rich fall into the temptation and trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And then he says in verse 10, one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. For the love of money is the, roots of all, is the root of all kinds of evil. Generally, people say, money is the root of all evil. <laughs> no, it's not. It's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. He's talking about transitioning out of wanting, desiring, coveting, envying to being content. Not complacent, but content. Another place this comes up in the Bible is in the book of Hebrews, where God's word says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be, there's the word, content with what you have because, and here's why the author of Hebrews says we should be content, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now, in each of those three passages we just looked at, God is warning us to avoid envy and enter into contentment. That's what I want to warn you about. I want to help you today to transition from any any ounce of envy that you might have in your spirit 
to release that, to be rid of that, and to find a sense of contentment in Christ and in who you are in him. But I want to begin by talking to you about the nature of envy. And I want to say that, first off, envy is extremely common. It is very common. In fact, David Brenner and J.R. Beck, who co-edited the Baker Encyclopedia of Psychological Counseling, that's a Christian publication, um, they say this. They say, envy is universal or possible in any person. Each of us has experienced the desire to have the achievements, excellences, or possessions of another person that we feel missing in our own life. It is destructive. And if it is unchecked, it becomes invasive and can even become a dominant emotion. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, yeah, I'm glad Pastor Steve's talking about envy because that's not really a problem in my life. This feels pretty good. This will be an easy sermon for me because I know a lot of other people deal with this. I don't. You're probably kidding yourself. Because envy is extremely common. When you look at social media and you see people on their vacations, do you have that little twinge of jealousy? Or when you see someone else's children behaving really well when yours are behaving poorly, do you want to slap their children? (laughs) Yeah. Do you have that sense sometimes when you see that guy with the nice boat where you want to say, why don't I have a nice boat? Do you have that, that kind of feeling inside of you? You probably do. Because envy is common, and it's something at work in the life of every person you know. But just because something is common doesn't mean it's okay. I mean, just something, because something's common doesn't mean it's good. For example, allergies are common, but none of us say, yeah, I have really bad allergies, but that's okay. Even though almost everybody is allergic to something, we don't like it. We don't feel like it's okay. We think it's commonness doesn't make it an okay thing. Or how about visual impairment? I'm looking around. How many people are wearing glasses? One, two, three, four, five, six. And how many people are wearing contacts? The majority of us have something on our faces or in our eyeballs, or we've had the surgery to fix it to correct our vision. It's just common. People need glasses and visual correction, but that doesn't make it good just because it's common. How about snoring? <laughs> Do you snore, buddy? Yeah, there he snores, right? And, and it's so common that even a child does it, but that doesn't make it a good thing. None of us think snoring is desirable. In fact, if you look at the quote that remains on the screen and you look at the last part of that quote, you can see that they say that envy is destructive and if it is unchecked, It becomes invasive and can even become a dominant emotion. Think about a dominant emotion. When you think of that guy, you think envy. That guy's just jealous of everybody. That woman, she is just envious of everyone and everything. You don't want envy to become that in your life. It's destructive, like a four-year-old driving an SUV, and no one wants that. Envy is incredibly destructive. Just ask the evil queen. She knows it's destructive, right? Because she looked into the mirror and she would say over and over again, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest one of all? And when the mirror doesn't say, well, it is you, my beautiful queen, but says, ah, there is one more lovely than you named Snow White, the queen gets very envious. She probably was to begin with. Envy manifests in such a way that it motivates her to kill. It is envy that if you read the Brothers Grimm version, By the way, that's what really happened, the Brothers Grimm, right? No, nothing really happened. It's a fairy tale. Stay with me, though, okay? 
But if you read that original version from the Brothers Grimm, you find out that this envy so consumed this evil queen, in the end of the story, she dies. Because the Brothers Grimm knew envy is destructive. Chuck Swindoll says this. He says, envy is a great enemy of inner peace. It steals contentment from the heart. And I would say to you that unless you transition in your heart from envy to contentment, you'll never really live because envy will suck the life right out of you completely. Envy is common, envy is destructive, and envy is sinful. There's 10 commandments, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, (laughs) envy and coveting aren't exactly the same thing. But they're not just cousins. They're more like siblings, maybe even twins in some respects. Envy is sinful. And envy is sneaky. The president of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, uh, John Stumbo, released a video this week where he was interviewing the man who's on the right there. He's the pastor of the Alliance Church in Lebanon. Not Lebanon, Pennsylvania, but Lebanon, the country, right? And Dr. Stumbo's interviewing him and they're talking about healing. Healing is something we believe happens. It's something we believe in. Healing is in the atonement, we say. And we have seen people, if I would say, how many of you have been healed? I think a lot of hands would go up. A lot of us have experienced healing or seen someone healed. As he's talking to this pastor, Dr. Stumbo talking to him, about healing, the pastor says something that Dr. Stumbo thinks is valuable enough to share with the entire Alliance family and puts it out in a video podcast. Listen to what this pastor says. For me personally, I've lost a brother to disease in two weeks' time. And when I hear of Christ healing people and I hear stories about healing, it's a personal thing for me. And for the longest time, I struggled with it. Do you get that? There's a lot of reasons he might say that. (laughs) But one of the reasons that I would say that, if you heard those words coming from my lips, is because I would be asking the question, why did you heal them, but not my brother? My brother died in two weeks' time. Why, God, would you heal that person and let my brother die in two weeks' time? And the fact that that pastor is talking about it and talking about it so publicly tells me that he's working through it because somehow or other he knows that will eat him alive because envy is sneaky. It comes into your life in very deceiving ways. It's not always when your brother rolls into the wedding. This happened to me yesterday. My brother who has a Jeep Rubicon. Who doesn't want a Jeep Rubicon, right? He traded it on that Toyota pickup truck. I mean, that Toyota pickup truck is black and chrome. That's all it is. Black and chrome. Four-wheel drive. Tires on it the size of earth movers. You know, it's that brand new pickup truck. I looked at his Toyota pickup truck. I said, where's the Rubicon? He said, yeah, I was having some trouble. I, I just upgraded. And I looked at that. And I looked at my Camry. <laughs> Usually that's how we think of envy coming in. Like, oh, wow, that's a really nice vehicle and I don't have a nice vehicle. But it can come in in really spiritual environs. Like, God, why did you heal him? But you're not healing me. 
Envy is a deceptive, sneaky kind of thing. But let me say this. Let me say this. Envy is defeated. It is defeated. I, I, I said to Laurel, take a look at my outline here. Look at point number five, and I think I had on there, envy is beatable, or I had envy is removable, or envy is overcomable, you know? And, and she said, you got to find a different word there, Steve. <laughs> Aren't you glad for her, right? And, and I thought, well, God, what is it? It's defeated. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit is living in your life, you have the means whereby, because of his grace, to say, envy, I'm done with that. I'm done with you. Because it's a sin, and the scripture says, sin will no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. So because of Jesus Christ, because of his work on a cross for you, when you've made that your own, you now have an ability to say no to envy that you didn't have before. Envy's in the air, but it doesn't have to be in you. And you will see things that will turn your head, but you don't have to leave your head turned in that direction. And things will scroll by on your social media that will go like, huh, look at that. But you don't have to stay there on that particular web page. And, and, and sometimes things will come up and you'll say, how come I never had a boat? But you don't have to continue that whine. You can walk away from it because envy does not own you. Jesus owns you. He's changed you. He's transformed you. And enemy, envy rather, <laughs> envy is defeated. And you can release it. And when you release it, it releases you, and you're no longer miserable. You can transition from envy to contentment. How? How can I do that, Pastor Steve? Because I really need to do it. Can you tell me how? How do I release envy and embrace contentment? And I really would like to share with you four ways, but I have to say this. Releasing envy is all about embracing contentment. It's not that you can just say, I'm not going to envy anymore, and then walk away. You have to choose to embrace the things we're going to talk about here. And the first of those things, to release envy and embrace contentment, is you have to see what you have been given as a gift by God. Because every time that we say, oh, I really wish I had that, why do they have that and I don't have that, what we're saying to God is, what you've given me isn't enough. What you've given me isn't enough. I'm going to use an illustration that I haven't even thought through. So if this comes out wrong, wow, you just got to forgive me. Imagine a husband who looks at his wife and then looks over at another person and says out loud to his wife of that other woman, why can't, why can't you look that way? I wish that you dressed that way. I wish that you did those things. I would like it if you did that. And that wife has given herself to that man, and he is saying, that's not what I want. I want that. How sick is that? It's terrible. In a sense, that's what I do when I say to God, I'm not content with what you have given me in my life, with my home, with my money, with my car. I'm not content with those things. You haven't done a good enough job, God. Whew. How do you get over that? Well, take a look at what you have been given. Take a look at the good things God has given you. 
And, and, and maybe ask yourself, what is it exactly that I need? And that word need is very intentionally spoken here. What is it I really need that God hasn't given me? Did you keep your Bibles open to 1 Timothy 6? I hope you did. Because we're going to look at that again. We're going to kind of take some of those verses apart. In verse 6 of 1 Timothy 6, God's word says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. What do I need? I need godliness with contentment. That would be good. And then the Bible goes on to say that beyond that, there is very little I need. In the very next verse, it says, for we brought nothing into, our, into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. What is it that God gives us that we need? <laughs> exactly what he's given us. And being content with that, that's a choice. And if you do not make that choice, to be thankful for the gifts that God has given you, that can take you into a bad place because the very next verse, verse six says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. Because the last verse, verse 11, says, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Look at what God's give you, given you and appreciate it. I was traveling through Europe decades ago. In fact, I was a teenager. There was a group of us. We were in a, a bus traveling around singing. Can you imagine your pastor doing that? And uh, one evening we were sitting together uh, and we'd had a meal uh, in a restaurant. We were actually one of those European outdoor cafes. And I happened to be seated at the table where Helga, who was our German tour guide, was seated. seated. She was probably about 28 or 32 years of age, around that age. And Helga said something that evening that stuck with me to this very day. She said this, you Americans are all about doing the next big thing or having the next big thing. You don't even know how to sit and appreciate what you have. I'm watching you right now as you're sitting here at this meal, and as it's over, you're getting up to do the next thing. You don't even know how to enjoy a meal and relax afterward. Oh, she's dead on. She is dead on. And the fact that she prefaced it with, you Americans, wasn't her just being mean. It was a gift, really. Because in that phrase, she is implying you don't have to be that person. You don't have to always want more and something bigger. You can sit and enjoy what you have, but you have to choose to do that. And as you do that, hear this, you transition from envy to contentment. We release envy by embracing that what God has given us is enough. And second, we release envy by doing what God has for us to do. Embrace contentment by doing what God has for you to do because envy often comes from dissatisfaction. Like I'm not really satisfied with what I'm doing here and I want to be doing something bigger, something different, something better. I'm not talking about complacency. You need, that's a whole different sermon. We're talking about contentment here versus envy. Sometimes we're kind of looking for satisfaction in, in, in the wrong thing. Like we think it's out there. And we are, as the old hymn said, like the woman at the well, I was seeking for things that did not satisfy this is a problem for everyone. This is a problem for pastors. 
pastors, if they're honest with you, they will tell you that they struggle with envy. And if you could be with a group of pastors who were really burying their souls with one another and were incredibly honest with one another, you would hear phrases like this. You would hear them say this. You know, I'm really bothered because that church across town, their building's a lot nicer than mine. Interesting, the use of the word mine there, huh? Or you'll hear them say things like this. You know, I, I, I visited this church down in San Antonio and the people there were so friendly. I wish I had those people. My people aren't friendly. Or you'll hear them say things like this. Wow, my congregation is aging and becoming debilitated. I wish that I had that congregation because they're younger. All of those sentences betray within those pastors something they're profoundly aware of, a sense of envy. I've dealt with that a lot through the years. Do you know how I deal with it when I find it consuming me is I get to work. Those three words, get to work. And I work on what God's given me to do. In 2 Timothy, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read just a couple verses to you, three verses from 2 Timothy chapter 4. In verse 3, Paul, this older pastor again, is giving Timothy, this younger pastor, counsel. And he says, the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to the myths. That happens in a pastor's life all the time. You know? And it's not just that they're going to maybe a, a different teacher that's teaching something that's really comfy and not convicting, but sometimes they're just going to no teacher at all. And as a pastor, you can be jealous of the, you can be envious of the ball team. You know what I mean? It's just a thing. So what do you do? How do I handle that? Timothy might be thinking. What do I need to do? And, and, and Paul tells him, and listen to what he says. Get to work. He says it in verse 5. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Do what God has called you to do. When you find yourself envying, not because of a different church, but because of someone who has a better job or someone who has a different family or different children, different whatever, and you're sinfully envying that, how do, how do you deal with that? Do what God has for you to do and get your eyes off of what God has for them. There are certain things in this world that God has for you to do, and you're just the right person to do them. And when you do them, you begin to transition from envy to contentment. Here's the third. I told you there were four. Look toward eternity. This is a theme that comes up. We've talked about this like three or four times in the past six months probably. Look toward eternity. When that kind of theme comes up in a preaching in a church, one of two things happening. Either God's trying to teach the pastor that and you're just getting the wake of that, like you know when a boat goes by and the waves are kind of washing up on you, or God's trying to teach us that. It's probably both, right? Look toward eternity. It was in the words that we read from Proverbs 23. We read verses 17 and 18 at the start of the sermon. Look again at verse 18 on the screen. It says, there is surely a future hope for you and your hope will not be cut off. He begins that by saying, don't envy sinners. Look toward eternity. And when I'm envying someone else, I'm wanting my reward here. I'm looking for my reward in this life. And Jesus says, man, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth or moths and vermin destroy and thieves break in and steal. Pastor Steve, you've said this like three or four times in the past six months. Yeah, I know. God keeps bringing it up, right? But rather store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And here's what God is saying. He's saying earth treasures are breeding grounds for envy. Heaven treasures, <laughs> that is a soil of contentment. A beautiful place to be. And the fourth way you make this transition is embrace God himself. 
I'm talking about literally spending time alone with God. I don't know how you do that. Maybe you do that by going out and and hunting. When you're out alone, away from social media, away from television, away from news, away from people, God can speak to you in ways that he might not otherwise. I want to tell you, the place where I have sensed God's presence the most profoundly in my whole life is the desert of Moab, Utah. I was just all by myself with a Bible. Laura was still sleeping. Get alone with God and embrace him. He says, I draw near to you when you draw near to me. He promises that. Call it spiritual, call it mystical, call it whatever you want, but make sure you're getting it. Because when you're dealing with envy, there is nothing like a face-to-face conversation with God to move you from envy to contentment. That's why that author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13.5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, I'm there for you. I'm with you. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is our helper. I won't be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Um, <laughs> can I tell you a grandchild story? I'm dying to tell grandchildren stories. I'm really disciplining myself not to do that. When uh, my 20-month-old grandson got a little brother named Moses, we were over there visiting them. Moses came home from the hospital. And Zach, the big brother, just wanted to put his finger in every orifice that that child had. (laughs) Can I put it in his eyeball and everything else? That's a learning curve, right, for little children to learn. You can't do that to your brother, right? One day, he walked over to the TV, and under the credenza, there's a blanket. And on his own initiative, he pulled that blanket out and he spread it, sat on the floor and he spread it across his lap. And he looked at his mom who had baby Moses and did this, give me the baby. And the pastor looked and said, are you getting cozy? Because that's what they say when they're going to snuggle on a blanket. Are you getting cozy? And he's like, yeah. And of course, she took the baby and held the baby carefully down there <laughs> and warded off his hands that were trying to poke his eyes out and things like that. But what he wanted to do was snuggle up with his little brother. What I'm asking you to do is when you find yourself entrapped by envy, snuggle up with God. Spend some intimate time alone with him. And maybe it's through his word. Maybe it's by being alone in prayer with him. Maybe it's through music. Whatever works for you, do that. And that will help you release envy and embrace contentment. So what would you do if you saw a four-year-old who climbed, climbing into your SUV <laughs> with the engine running and reaching for the gear shift. I got to tell you, I'd sprint across that parking lot like I was uh, Robbie Tubbs. Robbie ran a marathon recently. That's why I picked him. Yeah, I could probably really, really get some tread going uh, and get some action going to stop that. And yet, if envy begins to root in my heart, I kind of feel justified feeling that way. How come I never had a boat? I'm just going to sit here and whine about that for a little while. Don't do that. You have the tools and the ability to dismiss envy and to transition from that to contentment because God's given you everything you need for life and godliness. I want to pray that that would be your experience today. So if you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together and we'll pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful for all the good things you have given us. And I pray that we would see the good things you've given us as gifts from you. That when we see that which other people have, we would not be so careless as to say, I am so angry that this is all I have, that I have nothing. 
but we would recognize the good things you've given us. And we would take pleasure in them. I pray that we would see that what you have us to do and we would get to work and do what you have for us to do because there's great reward in serving you and great contentment in anticipating hearing, well done, my good and faithful servant. May we look forward to eternity and the rewards that you have for us there. And may we personally embrace you, God. May we walk close to you, near to you. And may we have a relationship that is marked by understanding your contentment. Pray these things for all of us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.